The topic I'll be looking at is preach the word in and out of season. Preach the word in and out of season. Pastor Chris, where are you? Can you put up my screen? Preach the word in and out of season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for this conference. We thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word and also to be challenged from your word. We thank you for all the people who are here today from different backgrounds, ministering in different contexts. But Lord, what a privilege it is for us to serve you as under-shepherds, people who should serve under your care. We ourselves are sheep, and we need to be fed. We ourselves are sheep, and we need a shepherd. Thank you because you are the good shepherd. Now as we look at your word, may your spirit, O oh Lord, give me clarity to speak well and declare your truth. Give me the boldness to declare your truth. And Lord, may it bring transformation to our lives. For indeed the gospel changes everything. Bless our time together, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm called Jimmy Okello, as you can see. Um, uh, I do pastor University Community Church, a Baptist church which is located near Gulu University. This is our eighth year since we got planted in 20, the beginning of 2014, and God has been faithful. God has been faithful. If there is one thing that has not changed about our church over the years, it is the preaching of the Word of God. And I, I tell people that if you don't like the preaching of God's word, you're not going to find University Community Church a good place to be. Because we will Sunday in, Sunday out, we will be on the business of preaching God's word. And as you will see in, in my message today, that the word of God indeed is significant. If you have your Bible, turn with me to... Math, uh, to to uh, Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. We will do verse one to eight, and that's going to be our focus. Second Timothy, chapter four. Okay, we have it up there. Second Timothy chapter four, verse one to eight. It reads. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their each ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, 
Keep your head in all situations and do a hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all your duties, duties of, of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing. Praise the Lord. The context here is, uh, is Paul writing the second letter to to Timothy. Timothy is his spiritual son in the faith. Timothy is, has been over the years mentored by Paul. And Timothy is a young pastor. And Paul had written to him the first letter as a young, a young pastor who assumed office and he was serving and didn't know much what to do. Paul wrote the first letter to give him guidance. And in there we see he gave wonderful instructions. For example, my, my earlier, uh, the earlier sessions have touched on the qualification of, of a pastor and many other touchy areas that every pastor should know. But in this second letter, Paul now draws to the end of it as his life and ministry is drawing to an end. And Paul is giving crucial instruction to Timothy, and to be specific, a charge. Charging Timothy on what he should, what in his view is most important. And all of us know, and this is true in in almost all the cultures of the world, I haven't found one where it's not true. The last words of a dying person is very important. In any culture, when someone is about to die, in some cultures they even have a lot of events that lead to that, especially when the death is predictable. And those, the last words of a dying person is extremely important. And Paul by now is giving Timothy a charge because his, his time is limited. His time is limited. And so what we are going to look at here are the words of a dying man. One thing that is common to the words of dying men is that they don't waste words. They don't have time for coarse joking and unseriousness. They are serious. Why? Because their time is limited. They have maybe hours or seconds. Others may say it in the, last, the very last breath that they have. Take care of my family. Take care of this and this. One time when I was at the university, I got bad news from home and they called me. My dad was not doing well and he was in hospital and his condition was so severe that the family knew he was not going to survive and so I was told later after he passed on and this my mom told me she said that my dad called her in that very last moment and told, him, told her 
I cannot say much, but when you go home, go pick that suitcase and all the information that is in it is very important. That is all he could say. And then he passed on. And what was in that suitcase was uh, title deed to the land and other important family documents that needed to be protected so that family properties are not lost. You understand what I'm talking about? And so to, Timothy, to, to, to Paul, Paul is in that final moment and all his years of labor is drawing to a close. To a point that all that he's been laboring through, his vigor has come down. He's not as physically energetic as he was at the beginning. And we all remember Paul's story, especially when he was heading to Damascus. He was riding his horse with such vigor and strength. A picture that I have in mind is Paul whipping the back of his horse and like, go faster, go faster. And he's, the horse is not getting quick enough to, to Jericho. But right on that, on that path, he meets Jesus. And Jesus completely transforms Paul's life. As Kogo in the morning mentioned that when you are hit by the truck called the gospel, your life will never remain the same. So while Paul was charging, going into Jericho, he meets Jesus and his life completely turned around. Let's get back to our text. It says in verse 1, In the presence of God and of, all, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now notice what Paul is saying here. And Paul is saying in the presence of God. What I'm speaking is not, they're not my words. They're God's words. That's what Paul is saying. In the presence of God and in and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearance and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So whatever, Paul is, whatever charge Paul is giving, he has Timothy's attention. He said, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ, whom God has appointed to judge all things, and in the presence uh, and before his kingdom, I give you this charge. He has Paul's, uh, uh, Timothy's full attention. And he says here, verse 2, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, again, remember, we said earlier that dying men don't waste words, okay? Dying men go straight to the point. And Paul here, unlike any other part of, his, of, his, of this letter, he makes this clear that this is a charge. There's no negotiation on this. There's no debate of, I will do it when I want, or I will not do it if I don't want. No. This is a charge. Do it. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now, that's a nice way to say, preach the word when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Preach the word when you feel like it 
And when you don't feel like it, and I'm speaking to pastors, you've ever woken up one morning and the last thing you want to do is to preach the word. <laughs> Sometimes you wake up and situations are hard. You've gone through a lot of pain, a lot of difficulties. Someone described the ministry of a pastor as they wed, they, they, they wed the people and bury them. So you, we, 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 we are there with you in your happiest moment when you walk down the aisle and you're, you're getting married. And we are there with you when you die and we, you have to be buried. And the pastor is there and all in between. That is our work. And sometimes God will have us move from a wedding to a funeral. Or from a funeral to a wedding. You, you come from rejoicing but you have to bury someone the next day. That's the life and the ministry of a pastor. So whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You see that word, be prepared, the word prepared? It can also be translated as be ready. Be ready. And, and the readiness here, the picture that, that we see is of someone who is like, like a soldier, who is a watchman, who is watching over the home and all the time being alert so that he doesn't sleep off and a thief comes in. But he is alert, always prepared, always ready. Always ready. Because, you see, pre, uh, preaching the word in and out of season requires readiness. We used to have a certain type of uh, battery brand in, the, brand in the market called Ever Ready. Does anyone remember? Yes. Ever Ready? Is it still there in the market? It's no longer there. I kind of like that name. <laughs> and that's the picture I have here. A pastor who is all the time ready. If they say, Pastor, can you bring some, uh, preach the word of God? You don't go like, oh, I didn't prepare. No. You should be ready. At all times, ready to preach the word. When you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. Be prepared. And it says here, in season and out of season. When the season is right and when the season doesn't seem right. Why preach the word? Why preach the word? Because the word of God is the instrument by which God has designed to bring transformation in our life. Earlier, uh, Kogo mentioned to us as he pointed out, the word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible is very clear on how the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring transformation to our lives. Look here, in verse, in verse 2, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Rebuke and encourage. And this reminds us of uh, uh, the, the, the words that uh, Paul wrote in, in, in verse 16 of the previous chapter. If you would go back just a few uh, steps in your Bible and you can find, I don't have a slide for that. We have only one slide. Okay. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for, notice this, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see that? So the word of God is, 
is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. The word of God is extremely powerful, extremely central to the ministry of the pastor. Paul says preach the word because pastors pastor by preaching. We don't wield the sword to, to discipline people to become godly. We wield the word, the sword of the word, so that they may be instructed in godly ways and become obedient. That's what we do. We teach the word. We exercise biblical authority through the teaching of God's word. We exercise uh, our pastoral ministry and authority through the, the teaching and the practice of God's word. And a pastor must be able to take, that, take the word of God and use it. And so we, coming back to this, we see in verse 2, rebuke encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And notice key word there. With careful instructions. That means the work of pastoring is a skillful work. A pastor must be a, a, a disciplined man in studying the word of God and drawing principles from it and instructing the people carefully. If you find a pastor who is rash at giving decision and counsel, they will damage the lives of the people who listen to them. You must be careful. Weigh the context well. Understand the meaning of scripture well and apply it properly so that it may bring transformation. Rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Praise the Lord. And Paul says that this is a charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so me and you, our work is cut out for us. I like to say this, that a pastor has one, one message, and his message is the gospel. We can come at the gospel from different angles, but we say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. We can come from it, come at it from the angle of what God says about money and ultimately preach the gospel. We can come from it from the angle of marriage and preach the gospel. We can come from church history and preach the gospel. Whatever angle we come from, the gospel is the one single message that we have been given. We have not been given another. And the gospel is only one. Paul tells the, 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 the Galatians, that how quickly you have departed the gospel and turned to other gospels, which, are, which is no gospel at all, because there is only but one gospel. We should not preach any other. We must, our lives must not be about, our ministry and life must not be about preaching other messages. It must be about the gospel, because the gospel is the message, the good news from our, from our Heavenly Father. It's God's way of redeeming us, reconciling us, drawing us back to himself. And that becomes central. So the preaching is not the preaching of any other thing but the gospel. That's it. That's it. And that means we must internalize what the gospel is. Be thoroughly conversant with what the gospel is. So that we are able to lay it clear before the people. Verse 3. For the, king, for the time will come when people will not 
put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. And Paul here in speaking to Timothy says, a time will come. And me and you can say today that that time has, has come. And we are in a time where people cannot endure sound doctrine. People do not endure sound doctrine. I, uh, I had a picture on my, uh, on my computer. It's a picture that is divided into two parts. On one side is a pastor who is preaching the word. And because he's, pre he's preaching truth, he has a few people gathered around him. And then there's another one who is preaching what people want to hear. And he has a full house and people are literally fighting at the door to enter the church. That picture communicates a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. If you say what people want to hear, you will have a crowd. They will throng your gathering. They will fill the church and overflow. Why? Because you are tickling their ears. You are scratching where it is itching. And it feels nice. And you're ignoring the truth. But when you speak truth, truth cuts through to the heart. Sound doctrine is sound biblical teaching. What the Bible says about the whole of life. The Bible's assessment of our human condition. As human beings, we are fallen. God created man upright, but man decided to disobey God. Man walked away from God. He thought for himself that he knew a better way. And in walking away from God, he severed his own relationship with God the Father. And that picture is seen in man being just out of the Garden of Eden, just away from the presence of God. What a terrible picture. That the very God who created us, who gives us life, now man has to depart from him and live apart from him. And we must lay these things to the people that we preach. We must tell them of our fallenness, our state of spiritual condition, the wickedness that is seated within us, the fact that we are unable to save ourselves. Send for man. He's not only unable to save himself, but sinful man is also not willing to pursue the answer to his own condition. Because he despises the ways of God. He despises God's answer. Instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say that who say what their itchy ears want to hear. Notice what they are turning, aw turning away from and turning to. They are turning away from God's word and from the preaching of God's word to, 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 to things that people want to hear and the preaching of those things that people want to hear. They are turning away from truth to myths. They are turning away from, from truth to popular ideas. They are turning away from the word of God to the things of the culture, the popular ideas of the culture. 
part of our ministry work is to university students. And we spend, we spend significant amount of time with them in sharing the gospel and discipling them. And one of those areas is, is in the area of sexual purity. Our young people struggle a lot. And you'll be amazed at how the truth of God's word concerning sexual purity is so distorted in the minds of young people. It's only the hope that lies in there is, is only the hope that is from the gospel. But me and you as pastors, we are to labor in laying down clearly the sound doctrine so that people may understand the truth and find salvation. Brothers, we have not been called to preach our lives. We have not been called to preach our travel itinerary. You know, I traveled to South Africa, I traveled to Nigeria, I traveled to this nation. We have not been called to preach that. We have not also been called to preach the successes of our businesses. We have not been called to build our own reputation and make our names great and blow ourselves like balloons and become so big. Some pastors are too big for life. I remember uh, a, a pastor colleague of mine, we went to school together, we were at university at about the same time. He was, I think, a year or two ahead of me. But we would spend a lot of time together in, in uh, fellowship at the university, praying together, going out for mission. So one time I got him like, hey, pastor, how are you? He said, I, 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 don't call me pastor. The Lord has lifted my standard. I'm now an apostle. I'm like, whoa. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't send me the memo, so I didn't know. <laughs> he didn't send me the memo. <laughs> I didn't know that the Lord has lifted your standard. That reveals something, brothers. That says something about uh, the heart condition. That means that someone is not, is not focused on the line of preaching God's word. Someone is pursuing titles. I think if there's any one single sin which is undoing every single pastor in Uganda, is the love for titles. Brothers, allow me to, to talk on this for a bit. And the Bible, the, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. This one thing called the love for title is a clear sign that we have departed from this charge to preach the word. Because the charge is we must preach the word, whether we feel like it or we don't. Not only when we are apostles or prophets or whatever title we want to give ourselves. Do you know that you can do all the pastoral work without a title? You can counsel someone without a title. You can share the gospel without a title. You can pray for someone without a title. You can uh, affirm what is true and, and reject what is false without a title. You can do all without a title. So why are we chasing after titles? Why are we allowing the cultures of this world to distract us from the gospel? Yeah. 
Why? <laughs> Why? You know, one thing, one thing that terrifies me the most about pastoring is a little statement in the book of James that says, brothers, not many of you should be teachers. Brothers, not many of you should be teachers because we will have a stricter judgment. When God called me to be a pastor, I knew exactly what the expectation was, and I tried to run away. But then a close friend of mine came to me and said, brother, are you trying to run away from God? Because as the more I pray and pray for you, the more it seems that God is telling me that you are running away from the call. I said, yes, brother, it's true. I am a man of great weaknesses. I'm a man of great inabilities. How can I ever be perfect in preaching God's word? And yet pastors will be judged with stricter judgment. I mean, brothers, do you tremble at that reality? Do you tremble at the fact that you are going to stand before God and give an account of your preaching, of your ministry, of your leadership? There was a, a man of God, I think he was a, a preacher of the word, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said as a pastor, if you feel like there's something else that you can do alongside pastoring, that you probably can do at the same level, maybe perhaps you should go and do that and not be a pastor. Because this call, brothers, is a high calling. This call comes with weight. This call is a serious calling. It's a matter of life and death because they, the, the future and the eternity of the people that God leads to us is in balance depending on how you respond to this call, to this charge, to preach the word. You could, by your preaching, open the way for brothers and sisters to find the gate to eternity, or by your preaching, you could shut it in their face and they are forever lost. That is how serious this call is. That is how serious this call is. Verse 3 tells us, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. Let me give you an example. Have you heard of some modern prophets today? They go asking for peop uh, from people, should I prophesy? Should I prophesy? And my response to them is like, who are you asking? <laughs> Whose words do you want to prophesy? If it is the Lord's word, go ask the Lord. Should I prophesy? And if God tells you, shut up, then be quiet. And if God says, speak, then speak. And don't hold back. But when men of God begin to seek permission from human beings to prophesy the word of the Lord, we have fallen. We have fallen, brothers. The authority of God's word does not come from men, does not come from the culture around us, does not come from the expectation of people. I don't preach to please people. I preach to deliver the full counsel of God's word. 
If it says, brother, repent, repent. We must lay the sound doctrine before the people. Let them know. If someone is going to leave your church because you've told them the truth, if truth is going to drive you away from church, probably you don't belong there. You probably don't belong there. Because if you do, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The voice of a stranger they don't follow. The voice of a hired servant they don't follow. Why? Because it's a hired servant. Brothers, my message is very clear. My message is actually in the title, Preach the Word in and out of season. What I'm trying to do is to plead with you. Is to plead with you to not be caught up into the temptation of preaching what is popular in the culture. But to preach the word. Because right now it's the cool thing to prophesy everywhere. And so you have prophetic fellowship, prophetic service, prophetic that, prophetic this, prophetic so and so. And it is cool. That is in the church culture. But can I ask you, is that what the Lord is saying? Is that what the Lord is saying? Verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to, to myths. Unfounded things. Myth. But you, and here is uh, Paul continues with the chart now. Please note, from verse 1 to, to, verse, to verse 4, he is explaining why he needs to preach the word. And he continues with the church here. He says, but you keep your head with all in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That is what we are supposed to be doing. We are to keep our, keep our head. Think clearly. Be sober as a pastor. Don't just take in every kind of teaching in the name of uh, simply because everyone, this is a popular person speaking. Are they speaking truth? Some pastors are into, you're into, into every fellowship, every gathering, every network, every this and that. Do you have, do you segregate some things? Can you separate the difference between truth and lies? Because not everyone is preaching truth. When I was a new believer, if anyone told me they're Christian, I believed them 100%. I thought they were Christian. If they said they were going to heaven, I believed that they were going to heaven. But now I know better. Not everyone is going to heaven. Not everyone is speaking truth. We must discern. We must be able to keep a clear mind and, and think clearly, protect our mind from the things that is dominating in the culture. Keep your head in all situation. Endure hardship. I think probably one of the most destructive doctrines of our time is the old, this whole thing of, as a believer, you must never suffer. Have you heard that? Anywhere? Have you heard people say, as a believer, you are so saved and so blessed that you must never suffer. And so you go back to them and say, but pastor, what if I suffer? Oh, your faith is weak. 
You have a weak faith. You have a weak faith. If only your faith is strong, you would not suffer. But I like Paul. Paul is clear. And God speaks to Timothy through Paul. He says, he says, endure hardship. The work of ministry requires that you endure because you will experience difficulties. It was Spurgeon who said that there are rough ages to the gospel. And when you try to shape those rough ages, then you don't have any gospel anymore. Every time you preach the gospel, you will provoke two responses. There's one that will, the one response is people will respond to you with anger. They will hate you for, for speaking the truth. And then the people will say, yes, you have, you have spoken to my heart. How can I be saved? The gospel by nature does not leave you indifferent of, you see, you know, I really don't know how I should respond. And you're, you're neither accepting it nor rejecting it. There's no middle ground. And that's why the gospel is good news. Because it requires that you respond. That is the nature of the gospel. It doesn't tell you God is angry with sin for man. God has made a way through his son Jesus Christ. Okay, whether you want it or if you want, then you can accept. If you don't want, please do whatever you want. That's not the gospel. The gospel challenges you to respond. Are you going to accept it or are you going to reject it? You see that? We must endure hardship. When you preach the gospel, you will be persecuted. When you preach the gospel, people will judge you. When you preach the gospel and leave the gospel, people will call you names. From the first day we, we started University Community Church, we began to preach from, from the very first day. And we have not stopped. And here are some of the things people say. Ah, that church, they're powerless. People don't fall, people don't carry chairs, people, they're just power, they're all the time on God's word. Open this book, open that, open that. They're just powerless. That pastor, Pastor Jimmy, cannot even lay your, his hand on you and you fall down. He's just a weak man. I've heard that. But the people who say that they miss a critical point, they miss something central to, to the gospel. That the work of the scripture, scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. When we take time to study the word, we are engaging with the Holy Spirit. And the power is there all. Hallelujah. I hear people say, ah, all the time the word. No, we need some free flow. Uh, you know, freestyle, let the Spirit speak to me and then things will happen. Who said when the Spirit puts a word in your heart from the scripture, that is not spiritual? <laughs> Who inspired the scriptures? Men of old wrote the scriptures when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were carried as they put, they, they put on paper the word of the Lord. So the, the, the teaching of God's word is as spiritual as prophesying. Yes, yes. The teaching of God's word is as spiritual as, as the apostolic ministry, whatever that is, you want to compare it with. Hallelujah. Amen. We need to dispel certain uh, negative thinking and attitude against God's word. That makes people to altogether put away the word of the Lord and run with popular ideas. One of the 
the challenges we have uh, in ministering among the university students is the dominance of a movement called the Fanero movement. And I'm speaking to pastors and I must talk about this. Because some of the pastors who are right here, when it comes to that movement, they, they seem to turn a blind eye and they, they just want to partner and work with Fanero. I want to rebuke you, honestly, in dear love. Fanero is as false as it can get to the core. They preach a false gospel. And they have swept all the young generation in our time. You go into every school deep in the village and you find that Fanero ideas are there. The Gnosticism of the, uh, of the, of the times of the apostles is alive and well today. And that false teaching is in our churches. And we have not been careful to watch and have come into our churches. Because part of the work of preaching the gospel is to dispel false teaching and to uh, teach sound doctrine. It was John Calvin who said the pastor must have two voices. The voice to feed the sheep and a voice to send the wolves away. As a pastor, you must have the voice to feed the sheep and say, come closer. This is the truth of God's word. It's a gentle, lovely, lo loving and caring voice of a shepherd. But then the voice to send the wolves away and say, away from our church. I don't want to see you again. That is false teaching. We will not accept it. Hallelujah. Let me ask you, do you have a voice for the sheep? And do you have a voice for sending away the wolves? We live in such a dangerous time that false teaching dominate our, our society. It feels like every time you teach a, a, a teach, you, you, you engage a teaching series and you're laying sound doctrine, you need to teach another, uh, another series where you're correcting false doctrine. Every time you, you lay foundation, you correct. You lay, you correct. Because it is coming at, at that speed. Praise the Lord. And the preaching of, the true preaching of God's word is what gathers the people. Last year when we had Shepherd the Flock Conference, we gave, we gave out to pastors uh, uh, many books. But out of those many books, there was one title called The Deliberate Church. I particularly like that book. It's really good. But here's what the writer says. He says that the preaching of the gospel gathers the church. When you preach something else, whoever gathers is not the church. You may end up gathering a crowd, but you definitely don't have a church. Because it is the gospel that gathers the church. If Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, you have to be speaking the words of Jesus for the sheep to come. If you're speaking your own words, you will gather a crowd, people who will come for what they want. So when we planted University Community Church, the first few months we had people coming and then the first year was characterized by people just coming to check us out and try to find what is there for them. So our congregation began to grow, 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 grow. And then it reached a certain point. And then it began to fall away, fall away, fall away, fall away. And then we got to a certain number which was stable. Then we knew these are the people who came for the gospel. Amen. 
The rest came to find what they can find in there. What is there a project that can benefit me? Uh, can I be part of a saving scheme? Can I get a loan from the church? Can I do this and that? Can I find a position of leadership? There was a young man who wanted to lead worship and be paid immediately after leading worship. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. After finishing to lead worship, it's like, Pastor, uh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. And then his conversation is all heading towards money. He's, he doesn't want to say it, but you know what he's heading to. And it is Sunday in, Sunday out. I said, okay, I'm not going to give this man anything for two weeks. Let's see if he's really here for the gospel. And trust me, he didn't finish two weeks. He was out. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hmm. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Brothers, like I told you, Paul was giving his dying words. His last words, the words of a dying man. And he was not, he is thinking reward, eternal reward here. Notice how he concludes here. He says, for I am, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's a nice way to say, I'm about to die, Timothy. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. This must be our longing, pastors. The longing to finish the, to run the race and finish it. And finish strong. And at the end, to pass a charge to the next person who is coming after you and say, my son in the faith, I've run the race. Continue from where I'm stopping. Hallelujah. Amen. Last time I was having a conversation with, uh, with someone and, and uh, we were talking about pastors, many pastors in, in, in Kampala. We were not talking about more of like what they teach, but how may, uh, a certain generation of pastors have passed on the mantle to a new generation. And there's a, I, could, I could almost name like 20 pastors in Kampala who have pastored for over 20 years and they either have passed on the mantle to another leader or are in the process of passing the mantle to another. One thing that I am committed to is I don't want my ministry of the gospel to vanish with my death. I want, to pass, I want to pass on a legacy of gospel faithfulness through my, through my church and through my sons. I want my sons to be preachers of the gospel. I don't want to be a preacher of the gospel and then someone uh, people comment about my children and say, these are the sons of that great preacher, but look at their lives. Oh, no. I want to pass on a legacy of faithfulness to the gospel of preaching. 
And Paul here is saying, I'm about to be poured out. My time for departure is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. One thing that strikes you in this statement is Paul's confidence. There's a crown awaiting for me. Do you preach with such confidence? Do you have such a confidence that, when, that by the time you finish your race, you can confidently know that there's a crown waiting for you? Oh, the, the thought of death terrifies you to the point of wondering, uh, is God ever going to allow me into his heaven? Because, pastors, our ministry is extremely significant. It doesn't matter what title they call you. Just go on, pastor. Because uh, pastors, by the way, they, it is not a title. When the Bible says there are some people who are pastors, uh, uh, apostles and all these. These things, this, this, what we take as titles are actually job descriptions. You know when you look for a job and they interview you and they give you a job? Whatever, whatever title that that job comes with, it's not so much about a title, it's more about the job you do. Like the way that there are some professions, they call people uh, different professions. We have pastors, we have Carpenters, it tells us about what you do. You're a carpenter, you're dealing wood. It tells us you're a builder, we know what to do, you build things. And it is because you build things that makes you a builder, because you work with wood, that's what makes you a carpenter. Because you shepherd the flock of God, that is what makes you a pastor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We should not take the titles and glory in the title when we don't do the actual job. Don't glory in the title when you're not doing the job. Do the job and the people will speak well of you when you do the right thing. Hallelujah. That is important. Let us not be about titles. Let us be about the gospel. Let us preach the word when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. I want to conclude with this, brothers. And I told you that I'm pleading with you. I want to challenge you to resolve a few things. To resolve to preach the gospel. Because that is our calling. To preach the gospel and not preach popular ideas in the culture. And that is a hard commitment. God has challenged me to resolve to preach the gospel. And that means that Sunday in, Sunday out, I will preach the gospel. Yes, I may give an example about my life a few times, but the gospel is not about Jimmy. I may talk about some things that God has done in my life to give thanks and praise, but I am not the message of the gospel. I may be used by God in great ways, but I must remember that the gospel is about Jesus. To talk about the Son of God, His glory, His power, His redemptive work, and that which He has accomplished for us at the cross. <laughs> Hallelujah. Unless we resolve to preach the gospel, we will be carried away by the culture. I'm telling you. We will be carried away. We'll be carried away by preaching in the other style so that I may be like so-and-so, I may be like so-and-so. Let us resolve to preach the gospel. Paul said, I resolve to know nothing when I'm among you 
except Jesus and him crucified. What is your resolve? Because you see, brothers, we can talk about this in these conferences for the next 15 years, every year calling you to, to, to the pastor's conference. And we can talk about the need to preach the gospel, the need to, to stay on God's word. But if you will not make a resolve, you can keep coming. Year in, year out, year in, year out, and you are at the same stage. We must preach the gospel, brothers. The gospel opens way for people to find eternal life. And when we don't preach it, we shut the door right in their faces and they are damned. That is how critical our responsibility is. So preach the word. Tell your neighbor, preach the word. That's Praise the Lord. I want, us, I want to pray. I want to pray. And I want to commit these things to the Lord. Father, we thank you that gathered in this place are pastors. These are the pastors that Gulu runs to when they need spiritual guidance. These are the pastors who explain scripture to Gulu and the different places they come to, from. These are the pastors who bring the hope of the gospel Sunday in, Sunday out to the people in Gulu and the different communities they come from. Lord, I pray that there'll be a deep conviction in our hearts, the conviction for preaching the truth, preaching the gospel and nothing else. Not compromising a single bit. Not allowing just for, for the sake of letting people know, oh, just this, only this one time. May our messages be about the gospel. May it be about Jesus. May it speak of his divine work among us in drawing us from darkness into light. It, May it be about God's work in restoring all things back to himself. May it display the grace and the mercy of our Father. Because you, O oh God, are merciful. I pray that this man, as they go back and they stand on their pulpits this Sunday, that truth will be spoken. That the word of God will be opened. And the word of God will be read from and uh, a clear teaching of the word of God will characterize our pulpits. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.